And so let us hear God's word, Romans 2, verse 17. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. <clears throat> Amen. Now, as uh, we begin here today, uh, we hear a lot about privilege in our culture right now. And uh, usually it's in the context of how bad it is. If you have privilege, then you are part of the oppressor. So we hear about right privilege or other things like that. Um, but uh, again, that's all part of the socialist agenda and so on. But, you know, the Bible talks about a lot of privileges that we have as God's people. We have many blessings many things that have been given to, to us. Now, Paul's going to go on and talk about how the Jews use their privileges wrongly. But today, I wanted to, as it were, sit down on these ideas and focus on the privileges. We have been going since chapter 1, verse 18, and, and uh, focusing on sin and how terrible we are, you might say. And uh, it's all true, it's all necessary for us to understand, but it can be a bit overwhelming and depressing. And so I wanted to uh, slow down a moment here this week and even some next week, and we're going to focus on the privileges that we have as God's people. So, to set it in its context then, beginning in chapter 2, Paul has turned from, you might say, the more obvious sinner to those who think they are a good person, whether a Jew or a Gentile. And he says, we are only good because God has been patient and good to us. It's not because we are such great people. It's just because he hasn't given us over to as many sins. And then Paul talks about God's perfect standard. It was given to Adam in the garden, and it is still in force today. 
And so everybody must obey him perfectly. And if we do, there will be blessing. If we don't, there will be judgment. God will not overlook our sin. He judges us without bias. God is just. God is fair. Because everyone has his law. Everyone knows his standard. The Jews have it because God gave it to them, right? In the, in the law of Moses, in the Old Testament. Gentiles have it. Not as specifically, not as clearly, but every person has it written on the core of our being, in our hearts. And so last time we talked briefly of uh, Paul's words here, and, and he talks about our inner person. And he begins with our heart, right? That's where the law is, in the very central part of our being. But God has also given us a conscience. And that conscience is to tell us to do the right thing. In our conscious thinking, okay, we then respond accordingly, the decisions we make and so forth. Now, obviously, our conscience and our conscious thinking are affected by sin. We suppress that law that is deep within us. Our consciences may be corrupted or even seared, but all of these work well enough to have everyone stand guilty before God. No one can say, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Everybody knows. Okay? And everyone, of course, is guilty before God. So whether you have this law written and in your hands or you have it written on your heart, God judges fairly because everybody has it. And Jesus, in particular, is going to be the one who will judge on the day of judgment. All right, so again, this is his, his overall point thus far. Now, you remember, in verse 12, he kind of gives us an overall broad idea. Verse 13, he starts to talk about the Jews. And in verses 14 to 16, he focuses on the Gentiles. Well, now he returns to the Jews. And we have these two basic ideas. Verses 17 to 24, he talks about the Jews and the law. And then in verses 25 to 29, he talks about the Jews and circumcision. So, of course, we will look at these ideas over the next number of weeks. So, uh, first of all then, let's focus on these privileges. So, verse 17, it says, Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God. All right. Now, obviously, Paul turns his attention to the Jew. You might remember there's some debate. How, should we look at verses 1 to 16? Is he talking about the Jew there or this moral person and so on? Of course, I would agree with those who say he's speaking about moral people generally. But now he's clearly speaking of the Jew. He says it uh, very directly. Okay? So um, we could say he's been talking about the Jew indirectly since chapter 1. But here it is very direct in his uh, approach. Now, obviously, Paul is taking us back now to verses 12 and 13. And again, he started the thought, and now he's going to develop it. So, who is a Jew? This is one of our most important questions here in this section. Well, uh, on the surface, we can say then that a Jew is someone who has received the law. That's how Paul is defining it here. A Jew is someone who has received God's word. Okay. Now, we can expand that, of course, and he's going to say this in chapter 4, okay, that a Jew is a descendant of Abraham, right? Someone 
who has descended from Abraham can be called a Jew. But in particular, he's emphasizing the Jew as someone who was at Mount Sinai and heard the law, and then their descendants who continue to have the law. And so in particular, those who have heard it, those who have read it, those who have been taught the law of God is the Jew. Now, let's take a moment here and try to transition. That's Paul's thought here in Romans. But how does it apply to us? Who is the Jew today? Well, as I said a moment ago, when we think of the Jews, obviously we think of Israel over in the Middle East. Okay? There are Jews around us, of course, in synagogue in Pittsburgh and so on and so forth, right? And, and we think of these things, right? Uh, and, and that's understandable. But are they actually Jews? According to Paul's definition. The corresponding connections today are those who have the scriptures. Now, did the Jews over in Israel have the scriptures? Sort of. They have the Old Testament, but for the most part, it's the Old Testament interpreted through the Talmud and other things like that. And so in many ways, they don't have the word, but okay, all right, still applies in that sense. But primarily, of course, they don't believe in Jesus. And so they don't have all of God's word now. They don't have the law of Moses understood through Christ. And so, in a sense, they don't have the law at all anymore. So they're not a Jew in that sense. Today, right? Today's Jew. <coughs> so we'll see, <coughs> excuse me, more details of this when we get to the end of the chapter. But you see how Paul's words then really are applying especially to the Christian, to the person who has the law of Moses, yes, but the person who has received Jesus as Messiah and therefore has the New Testament to interpret the Old Testament completely, accurately, fully. So, in many ways, then, we can replace this word Jew and say Christian. The Jew who believes in Jesus, the Gentile who believes in Jesus, and who has the word of God. This is the corresponding connection. Now, we will say more about this when we get to the end of this chapter. But I think we need to say a few things now in order for us to apply this and not just say, oh, okay, this is what Paul meant back then, and all right, that's great. <laughs> but what does it have to do with me? You know, well, this is what it has to do with us. Paul begins here with several statements for those who have received the blessings of God. And initially, it was the Jew in the Old Testament, the Jew leading up to Christ. Now, that includes us. God's people, believers. All right, now, let's look specifically uh, here. It, it, notice the New King James begins by saying, Indeed, you are called a Jew. If you have another translation, you probably have something like, But if you are called a Jew. Now, it's not really much different uh, in the Greek. Um, it might emphasize a little differently the point, but it's not that much different. The, the if makes clear that we have a conditional sentence here. Okay? 
if this is true of you, then, well, that's verses 23 and following, right? Verses 23 to 25, or so, I, I'm sorry, wrong verses, verses 21 to 24, I'm sorry. So if this is true of you, you have all these privileges, verses 17 to 20, then therefore his continuing point, okay? So the if shows that to us a little bit more clearly. Now, in Greek, the word if can be translated as since sometimes. And that's what the New King James is emphasizing. Okay, Since this is true, indeed this is true of the Jew. They have these privileges. So therefore, right, they need to live accordingly. So whichever way we go with it, I think it's bringing out what Paul is saying. All right, one more uh, word in this way. That pronoun, you are called a Jew, that's repeated. You, you, since you are a Jew. So he's not talking about the Gentile. He's not talking about the morally good. He's talking about the descendants of Abraham, and again, specifically those who have received God's word. God's chosen people, then by extension, including ourselves. Initially, the Jews expanded now to the Christian. Those who received the blessing of Scripture. All right. <clears throat> now, with some of this as our foundation and background, Paul now lists several blessings, several privileges. And depending on who you read, they'll itemize them in different ways and so on. But let's just go with what Paul says. It's pretty straightforward here. There are five of them in verses 17 and 18. And we'll see some more in verses 19 and 20. All right. So first then, uh, if or since, indeed, you are being called a Jew. Obviously, this is not true of everyone. But as I've already said, to some degree, this is referring to the descendants of Abraham. And yet, of course, we need to specify that, right? It is Abraham through Isaac and then through Jacob. God's chosen people, right? God chose Abraham from all the peoples of all the earth. He chose one man. And then he chose one of the sons of Abraham. And we know he had several, hey, remember Keturah and so on, but in particular, we think of Ishmael and Isaac. He chose Isaac, not Ishmael. And then, of course, Isaac had Jacob and Esau. He chose Jacob and not Esau. And so when we talk about the Jew, we're talking about the sins of Abraham, but specifically through Isaac, through Jacob. This uh, line was the chosen line, the elect line, God's special people in this way. Now, Jacob, of course, had his 12 sons, and all of them were part of Israel. But his fourth son, in particular, through Leah, was Judah. And you might remember the, the name Judah means praise. And so he'll return to that at the end of the chapter, this idea of praise. Um, but when we think of Judah... Right? You might think of what happened in Genesis and so forth and, and his sins initially and then how he stood up um, for Benjamin there before Joseph and, and so on. Okay, <coughs> excuse me. We see about the prominence of Judah when they came into the promised land. But it's especially after Solomon where we see Judah rising to the, the forefront, you might say. Uh, and that is the southern kingdom in Israel, as it is called, Judah, which includes Simeon and portions of Benjamin at this point. After the exile, uh, 
people returned to Judah. Very few people returned to the northern kingdom or they were assimilated and became Samaritans or something like that. And so because of this emphasis on Judah, Israel became known as Judeans. And that's actually the word here in the Greek, a Judean. Um, but we have shortened it, kind of a nickname, and we take Judean and take the J-U off the front and we call him a Jew. And we anglicize it and say J-E-W and so forth, right? All right, the point is this. This is an amazing name to have. Right? We've been living in the 20th century and in the 21st century. and There's a lot of anti-Semitism and all this sort of thing. And some people don't want to be called a Jew. And, and uh, uh, like in Naline's heritage, there's, there's some of that. And they tried to hide it and so forth. Okay. But, you know, to be called a Jew is an amazing privilege. We are part of this chosen line. From Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, and of course, the son of, of Jacob, Judah especially. We are part of this blessing. It's a great name to have. And, and, and Paul is saying that. He, he's not questioning this or, or, or saying it's not a privilege in any way. It, it is. It was. To be a Jew is to be part of God's chosen family. It's truly a blessing. Now, again, to bring in some of this transition from 2,000 years ago to today, after the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, uh, it became harder and harder to follow literally the physical descent of Jews. And some have said, we cannot know for certain that those who say they are Jews today are actually physically descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Other people say, well, yes, we can. We have uh, indication that that is the case. But whatever the case, those who say that they are Jews today are claiming this heritage, of course. They are claiming to be associated with the teachings of the Old Testament. They are known as a Jew, and they are proud of that. Okay? Especially the more committed Jews, the secular Jews... That may be another story, but um, uh, but again, the, we can't just take this idea of Paul and apply it today, because the Jew of today has not accepted the Messiah. They are not part of God's chosen family in the same way as they were when Paul wrote these words. A change has taken place. God's judgment came upon Israel in the fall of Jerusalem. And so the words now apply to the Christian. And there are believing Jews who are Christians. There are believing Gentiles who are Christians. But it's applying now to the new Israel. The true Jew now is the true believer in Jesus Christ. It's not an ethnic thing. It is by faith. Okay? And so we have been chosen just like God chose Abraham. We have been chosen just like he chose Isaac and not Ishmael and Jacob and not Esau. We may change this term now and say, indeed, you are a Christian. But the privilege that Paul's talking about here for the Jew is what now applies to us. We are part of this heritage, part of this promise, 
part of God's grace in this way. Okay? And so let's take on the name with pride. I am a Jew in the true sense of what a Jew is by God's grace. Okay? And all Christians are. And this is an amazing privilege, is it not? Be proud of the name. The true name, the true definition of the name. Hey, let's not get all wrapped up on the Zionist understanding of the Jew and so on and so forth. We are the true Jew. And so, Paul's word here applies to us. What a great privilege we have. This is our name. Though, of course... We have especially taken on the name of Christ. Okay? Not the name of Judah, but the name of Christ. And so we are Christian. And so we have taken on a new name, but it's really, in the end, the same basic ideas. Okay? Just now fulfilled in Christ and expanded beyond the nation of Israel. All right. Well, again, I'm anticipating verses 28 and 29, but I think we have to in order to to make application for us here. So let's now transition to the next one. Okay. The next one is, you are resting on the law. Now, Paul obviously is emphasizing the law here. And uh, he is saying that they rest in it, they rely upon it. Uh, especially relying on the fact that they have it in their hands. Gentiles didn't. And this is an amazing privilege, isn't it? Can you, be, can you imagine not having a Bible? I've had one my whole life. I, I can't imagine living without one. Now, there are portions of my life where I didn't live so well. I didn't care if I had a Bible. But I've had one my whole life. I can't imagine not having one. This is a, a thing on which we should rest, on which we should rely. We should be grateful that we can hold it in our hands because not everybody has that privilege. Okay. Israel, of course, had the law of Moses. They had the prophets. In the New Testament, they had the apostles and the prophets. Okay. Now, <clears throat> let me pause here and, and make this point. In 1995... I went on a music mission trip, um, and uh, our particular group went to Belarus. We flew into Warsaw and then over to Minsk, and, and we spent a few weeks there uh, ministering to churches and communities and, and uh, singing primarily, playing music, as well as um, we helped out, you know, Bible school kind of things, uh, and we passed out Bibles. Now, Remember what happened not too long before 1995. Now you remember that Belarus was part of Soviet Russia. And for roughly 70 years, they weren't allowed to have a Bible. They weren't allowed to talk about these things. In fact, one of the places where I stayed was in a pastor's house who had been in Siberia for a number of years. <clears throat> So when we were passing out Bibles, it was truly amazing. <laughs> they were so thankful to have a Bible in their hands. 
And you know, at the time, I was just like, yeah, okay, this is pretty neat. <laughs> but you know, when you think about it, not having a Bible. There was one time in particular where they were basically storming up to the front. <laughs> I want a Bible. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, it's truly amazing. They were so thankful to receive God's word. In the Old Testament era, of course, um, only the Jews had it. No one else in the whole world had a Bible, had an Old Testament, had the law of Moses. Now, there were a few Jews, excuse me, Gentiles associated with the Jews. You think of the Gibeonites, Moses' father-in-law. You think of Rahab and Ruth and, and so forth. There were a few that became associated, but basically the whole world had no Bible except for Israel. Well, that, of course, has now changed. We have Christians throughout the world that have Bibles. Okay? There have been times where they haven't, as I just mentioned, but certainly we now do. The church has the Bible, and of course we have all the Bible, the Old and the New Testament. Okay? And so again, <clears throat> the Jew today only has part of the Bible. And so these words don't apply to them in the same way today. They apply to us. In our increasingly secular culture, we may have Bibles readily available, but more and more people could care less. But this is a great, great treasure. We sang of this here a little bit ago, a word of God incarnate. It is a wonderful treasure for us to have the scriptures. Paul is not denying this truth. He's going to criticize them for not living according to this truth. But the truth is the truth. They have the law and they're relying on it. And that's the right thing for us to do. Okay. Having it is not enough. We must keep it and obey it and trust. But nevertheless, it is a priceless treasure. And so don't ever take for granted the fact that we have a Bible so readily available to us. That may change, but for now, we have a Bible anytime we want it, for the most part. Hey, we might have forgotten it in our car. We have to go get it. But you understand what I'm saying. We have it. And what a blessing. What a privilege we have. All right, well, let's look then at the next one. And that is, you are making your boast in God. Now, again, Paul's saying something true and good here. It's a good thing to boast in God. Okay? The Jews were unique. The Jews were chosen out of all the nations of the whole world. And they can boast in that fact. God chose us. We are elect. We are to be his children. We are a child of the king, as we say. And that's not true of anybody else. And of course, in the Old Testament, it was limited almost exclusively to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Again, there were few that became a part of things, but Right? They, they could boast in this. And so when we humbly acknowledge that our salvation is all of God, 
that he has chosen us. And we, we then can boast in the fact that God did this. I don't deserve any of it. And that's the right response. And that's what Paul's driving at. Let's turn a moment, <coughs> excuse me, to Deuteronomy chapter 7. <coughs> and uh, God says these things through Moses. I remember Deuteronomy is written at the end of the 40-year wandering and so on before they cross into the uh, promised land. And so in chapter 7, let's focus especially on verses 6 and following. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, right? Set apart. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you are more in number than any other people, for you are the least of all peoples, okay? or any other reason, right? It's not because they are inherently good or anything. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the house of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Okay. <clears throat> Because God has done this and has given us the name Jew, right? Judean, Israelite, Christian, right? we can humbly boast in this truth. He has chosen me. Truly amazing. He has chosen us. Okay? Now, it is also true if we say, oh, I've been chosen by God, I've been given his word, and I'm therefore better than you. Well, now we're getting into trouble. And now we're becoming prideful, and that's what Paul is going to address. But again, the initial point is true. We can boast in the right ways. Just don't brag. Don't become prideful. Okay. So, <clears throat> Paul is talking about legitimate privileges and the right kind of pride you might say the right kind of boasting i am god's child i have his word i have entered into relationship with god this is truly amazing and certainly undeserved and it should fill us with gratitude and desires to serve him and so again after this work of defining our terms here right this applies to us as Christians. We have the same privileges. Paul's going to say in chapter 4 that we are descendants of Abraham spiritually. And so the blessings given to Israel now apply to us, the new Israel, the, the Gentile and Jewish believers. This Judeo-Christian privilege, you might call it. It's no longer for the Jews only. And it's not merely for the ethnic Jew, but only those who trust in Jesus. All right, well, let's look then at verse 18, because now he gives us two more. Verse 18, and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law. There are two of them there, that last part, that last clause, being instructed out of the law, modifies both of them. So there, there's still two here. So the fourth one overall, you are knowing his will, God's will. Now, when we talk about God's will, we usually separate it into two ideas, the secret will of God and the revealed will of God. 
Now, Paul is not talking about the first of these. We do not know God's secret will. It's a secret. (laughs) So we can't know it. Only God knows it. Now, we can see that will played out in history, and he does give us some clues in his word, but ultimately, we don't uh, know his secret will. And even when we do see it played out in history, it usually leaves us with a lot of questions. Like we've seen the secret will of God in the last week or so with Hamas attacking Israel. What is going on with that? How should we understand it? So we see God's secret will worked out, but it still leaves us with some questions. What is he doing? How should we understand this? And of course, many people in the last week are saying, oh, this is a sign of the end. Christ is coming. Well, is that how we should understand? All right. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul is talking about the revealed will of God. And his revealed will is right here, right? It's in the Bible. It's in his word. This word that Paul says they're resting upon in the last verse. They're resting on the law. And so by resting on the law, we know his will. And then to go forward here, we know his will, the end of the verse, being instructed out of the law, right? See how it's all fitting together. And so we have God's will in his word. Paul here is emphasizing the law. But certainly we can say more than that. Paul's primary emphasis is we know what we should do, what God's standard is. We are to do these things. We are not to do those other things and so forth. But certainly we can expand beyond that. But that's his emphasis. So because the Jew had the law, they knew what to do. The Gentiles didn't, at least not to the same degree. They had the law in their hearts. They knew enough, but the Jew knew far more. And the same, of course, then applies to us. We have God's revealed will. We have the scriptures, all of it. And so we then have more understanding than the Jew did in Paul's day. The Jew hadn't accepted Christ. We now have the New Testament. We have the finished canon, as we call it. Jesus has come. He has given us more understanding And he has fulfilled the Old Testament promises. And so now, today, the non-believing Jew does not know God's will. Now, maybe to some degree, right? Don't commit adultery and some of these things. But in terms of the full message of the scriptures, they don't know God's will because they haven't accepted Christ. But for the believer who does... This is an amazing blessing, isn't it? I'm sure every one of us in here knows unbelievers. And when you watch unbelievers, isn't it sad to watch them groping around in the darkness? And they they don't know what to do. Again, yes, they have some knowledge within that God has given, but they're suppressing that truth. They're ignoring their conscience, right? (laughs) They're trying to live And it's just a mess. They're blindly bumping into things and tripping and falling. And so trying to find meaning in life and to try to decide what to do and what not to do. And it's just, it's sad to watch. Because they don't have the scriptures, they don't know God's will. Certainly not as clearly as as we do. Again, I asked this before. Can you imagine not having a Bible? 
You know, when we have a decision to make, whether it's a big decision like getting married or a little decision, should we buy this car or this lawnmower or how much are we going to spend at the grocery store this week so we can make ends meet? Um, can you imagine trying to make these decisions without the scriptures, without knowing God's will? Again, I, 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 I can't. I, I've, I've had it my whole life. I can't imagine not having it. Can you imagine going to one of these woke churches that we've been talking about in Sunday school where they are teaching things that are contrary to God's word? Can you imagine going there and not hearing the truth, hearing something counterfeit? We have such a blessing to have the word of God, to have it be taught to you as God intended it to be done. Okay. So for those of you who haven't come to Sunday school, or maybe not every week, this Enemies Within the Church video, uh, put it in the back when we're done. Okay. Make sure you look at it. It'll uh, give us a sense of how much privilege that we do have. Okay. All right. Well, the last one then. Number five here today, last one for today, um, and approve of the things that are excellent. Your translation may say it slightly differently, but because we have the scriptures, not only do we know God's will, but we then know what is best, he is saying. So it's a, it's a similar idea, but he's emphasizing here that we can discern between right and wrong. We can discern between good and evil, even a greater good versus a lesser good. Again, unbelievers inherently know what is right and wrong, but generally, not specifically, the unbeliever may help someone in need, but only because they know it's the right thing, not because they know specifically why it is the right thing. That makes them feel good or something like that, but they don't know. They, they innately know it's better to be kind but they don't know that God has specifically commanded us to be kind, to help our neighbor and love them and so on. Okay. And so the Jew, the Christian, knows why something is right and why something else is wrong because they're in the scriptures. They're understanding God's revealed will. God teaches us there. Now, in Israel, of course, God did this through the priests and the Levites. Uh, there were 48 cities scattered throughout Israel where the regular teaching of the word was to be done. And, uh, uh, of course, had the tabernacle and the temple as well. They had prophets. They had rabbis at different times of their history. Today, um, we have churches throughout the world where God's word is being taught. Um, Again, not all of them are, but uh, right there, there it's certainly taking place. Parents are instructing their children, and so as we use the Word of God, this helps us to discern between right and wrong. Having God's Word enables us to test these things and know what is best. Again, this is such an amazing privilege. I think for us who have been Christians our whole lives, we tend to forget this, <laughs> and we don't realize. Uh, it, it, what it's like to not have the scriptures to guide us in these ways. Okay. And so, this is a privilege that Paul is talking about. 
Let's rejoice in these privileges. Now, Paul's going to go on to say it can't lead to pride. It cannot lead to feeling superior. Okay? And having these privileges, his primary point, that does not automatically absolve us from God's judgment. Merely having these things, merely doing some outwardly religious things doesn't automatically mean we will be safe on the day of judgment. He's going to get to how we are safe on the day of judgment in the end of chapter 3. He's not there yet. And this is his overall point. But again, let me end with, if you will, the positive message here. (laughs) We are sons and daughters of Abraham. We have God's word. He has chosen us of all the people in the world. He has made us his children, elected us, loved us. We are priests. We are kings. We are stones in God's temple. We are the temple. and The spirit of God dwells within us. We have all the scriptures, not just some of it. We are guaranteed eternal life. We are protected by God. We can pray to him. We could list many other things. And the first hymn especially we sang gave us some of those other things. And we'll sing another one that will say some more. And so Paul is going to chastise the Jew, but let's rest for the moment in these wonderful blessings. Take the right kind of pride in these things and be grateful for what God has done. And may that then motivate us to live as God calls us to live. All right. Well, we'll pick up with these thoughts, Lord willing, next time in verse 19. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these amazing privileges that you have given to us. Our Father, we um, are thankful for the names that you give to us. And there are many, and we've talked about two especially here tonight, or today. And we are thankful that we are a true Jew, a true descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, through Judah in particular. And we are thankful, Lord, of course, that we are Christians, followers of Christ. May we rejoice in the name that you have given. We thank you also, Lord, of course, you have given us your word. Your word that gives us the ability to discern truth from error, right from wrong. Your word that gives us your will so we know what we should do. Your word that that we have and many others don't. We thank you for this privilege. And so we boast in you in the right ways. Because you have done this. We don't deserve any of it. We are not good people. We are wretched sinners that suppress the truth and turn from you. And yet you have done this anyway. And we thank you, Lord. May we rely on these things in the right ways. Not as Paul will address for those who did it wrongly. And we pray for your mercies in this way. And so again, we thank you for your love, your grace, your amazing blessings. And may we then... Uh, honor you in all things because of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.